0: chapter six of some everyday folk and dawn by miles franklin this librivox recording is in the public domain grandma clay's love story oh you don't want to hear it now she said in response to my request but she gave a pleased laugh betraying her willingness to tell it sometimes i get running on about old times and don't know where to stop and dawn says people only pretend to be interested in me out of politeness I think I hinted to you that mine was a love match, the only sort of marriage there ought to be. Any other sort in my mind is only fit for pigs." "'But sometimes love matches would be utterly absurd!' I remarked. "'Well then, people that are utterly absurd ought to be locked up in an asylum. Anybody that's fit to love wouldn't love a fool, because there must be reason in everything. Some people I know would love a monkey, but they ain't fit to be counted with the people that keeps the world goin.' "'Well, i got as far as we kept an accommodation house on the Sydney Road. Fine Road it was too, level and strong, and in many places flagged by the convicts, and it stands good to this day. It ain't like these godforsaken roads about here. Grandma showed symptoms of convulsions. But some people is only good for to be stuffed in a—ah, uh, asylum, and that's where the Nanoon Municipal Council ought to be.' and i say it though jake there me own brother is one of them did jim clay i said by way of keeping to the subject i told you how i used to sneak out to buckle the horses on and when jack clay a great chum of me father's used to be driving the up-coach me father when he'd be slack of passengers which wasn't often there being more life and people moving in the colony then and when i'd be good would put me up on the box and take me on to the next stage, and I'd come back with Jack Clay, that was me husband's father. As it used to be in the night, it usedn't to take from me time, and I'd be up again next day as if I'd slept forty hours. I wasn't like the girls these days. If they go to a blessed ball and are up a few hours, they nearly have to stay in bed a week after it. In that way I come to be a great hand with the reins, and me father took a deal of pride in me because all the young men up that way began to talk about me. My father had the best team of horses on the road. He used to always drive them hisself. He was always a kind man to everyone and everything about him. He drove three blood coaches abreast and two lighter ones, butterfly and fairy in the lead. Weren't them the days that great coach swingin' round the curves and sidlings in the dark? I fancy I can feel the reins between my fingers now. And there was always a lot of jolly fellows, and usedn't they to cheer me when the horses had play up a bit. It was considered wonderful for me to manage such a team. I was only a slight slip of a girl, not near so fat as Dawn. She takes more after a grandfather. Me and my sisters had no lack of sweethearts, and we didn't run after them neither. Some people make me that mad the way they run after people and lick their boots. When I'd be driving with me father, Jim Clay used to be with his, but he was some years older than me. He wanted to enter the driving business soon as opportunity came, and him and me were sort of rivals-like. Many of the young swells used to bring me necklaces and brooches, but somehow, when Jim Clay only brought me a pocket handkerchief or a lump of ribbon, I liked it better and kept it away in a little scent box. And I was supposed to be in love with a good many in them days. Some people always knows others' business better than they do theirselves. Me two sisters got married soon as they were eighteen—one to a thriving young squatter, and the other to a rich old banker. Seein how she got on is what makes me again old men marrying young girls it ain't natural a man might marry a girl a few years younger than himself, but there must be reason in everything i was older than my sisters and people began to twit me and say i'd be left on the shelf but before this when i was sixteen and jim clay twenty my father broke his leg and was put by all his trouble was his horses he fretted and fretted that they would be spoiled by a careless driver and he had em trained so they knew nothing but kindness i was only two willin "'and I up and undertook to drive the coach right through. "'Old Jack Clay said he'd come with me a turn or two "'and leave Jim to take his team. "'But just then he had some terrible new horses "'that no one could handle but hisself. "'He was a wonderful hand with horses, was Jim's father. "'So Jim was sent with me. "'My, wasn't there a cheer when I first brought the mail in all on me own?' "'The old face flashed forth a radiance as she told her tale.' Some of the old gents in the town of Gilgul come out and shook hands with me, and the ladies kissed me when I got down off of the box. There was a lawyer fellow, considered a great lady-killer in them days, he had a long beard shaved in the dundreary. Dawn always says he must have been a howler with a beard of that description. But times change, and these clean-faced women looking fellas the girls think is very smart now will look just as strange by and by. However, he was running strong with me and my mother considered him favourable, him being a swell and makin his way. Soon as ever I started runnin the coach he was took with a lot of business down the road, and used to be nearly always a passenger. "'It appears that sweetheart tactics have not changed if the style in beards has,' I remarked with a smile. "'No, and they'll never change, Seeing a man as a man and a girl as a girl, no matter what fashion's come and go.' I never can see why they make such a fuss and get so frightened because women does a thing or two now they used not to. Nothing short of an earthquake can make them not men and women, and that's the main thing. Well, to go back to me yarn. Lots of other passengers got took the same way, and there was a great bidding for the box seat. That was a prerequisite belonging to the driver, and me father used to get a sovereign for it often. I used to dispose of it by a sort of tender, and five pounds was nothing for it. And once, in the gold rush times, when money was layin' around like water, a big miner, just to show off, gave me two tenors for it. They used to be wantin' to drive, but I took my father's advice and never let go the reins. Well, among these fine chaps, Jim Clay wasn't noticed. He was always a terrible quiet feller. I did all the jawin'. He'd always say, "'Come now, Martha, there's reason in everything.' Just when I'd be mad because I couldn't see no reason in nothing. He was sitting in the back of the coach, and it was one wet night, and only a few passengers for a wonder, who was glad to take refuge inside. Only the lawyer fellow was out on the box with me, and makin love heavier than it was rainin'. I staved him off all I could, and with him and the horses me hands was full. You never see the like of the roads in them days. It was only in later years the Sydney road, I was remarkin', was made good. In them times there was no made roads, and you can imagine the bogs. "'Why, sometimes you'd think the whole coach was going out of sightin' em, "'and charging round the stumps up to the axle was considered nothing. "'We had more pluck in them days. "'Well, that night the roads was that slippery the brake gave me all I could do, "'and a new horse in the back had no more notion of hanging in the breeching than a cow, "'so I took no notice to the lawyer, only told him to hold his mag once or twice "'and not be such a blitherer. "'But it was no use. "'He took a mean advantage off of me.' You can imagine it was easy when I had five horses in a coach going round slippery sidelands, pitch dark and rainin'. He put his arms round me waist and that raised me blood, and I tell you, things hummed a little. You'll see Dawn in a tantrum one of these days, but she ain't a patch on me when Medanda was up in my young days. Looking at the fine old flashing eyes and the steel in her still, it was easy to see the truth of this. I jawed him to take his hands off me or I'd pull the coach up and call the inside passengers out to knock him off. He gamed me to do it, and laughed and squeezed me harder, and the cowardly crawler actually made to kiss me, but I bit him on the nose and spat at him, and took the horses over a bad gutter round a fallen tree at the same time, and some people is afraid to let their blessed daughters out in a doll sulky with a titty little pony no bigger than a dog if I had children like that I'd give em all the chances goin' of breakin' their neck, as they wouldn't be worth savin' for anything but sausage-meat. Well, this cur still kept on at his larks, so as soon as I got the team on the level—it was at Supling Side and runnin' into Tea Tree Creek—I could hear the creek gurglin' above the sound of the rain, and the white froth on the water—I can see it plain now. I pulled sudden and said, Whoa! and it was beautiful the way they'd stopped dead the passengers all suspected there must be a accident or the bushrangers must have bailed us up for they was around in full blast in them days well when i pulled up i got nervous and ashamed and bust out cryin and the passengers didn't know what to make of it but jim clay it appears had his eye and ear cocked all the time and before anyone knew what had happened he had the lawyer feller welted off of the coach and was goin into him right and left that's what give me a feelin to jim clay all of a sudden like I never had to no one else before or since. He was always such a terrible quiet fellow that no one seemed to notice, and he'd never made love to me before. But he got beside hisself then and shouts, "'If you ever touch my girl again, I'll hammer you to smithereens.' Then he got back on the box and wiped me eyes on his handkerchief and protected me. The men inside, mostly diggers making through to Victoria, when they got the hang of things, bust out roaring and cheering and said, leave the dog on the road and give him a stomach-ache he tried to get up but they pushed him off he made great threats about the law but miners is the gamest men alive and loves fair play it ain't any use in talking to them if it ain't fair play and they give him to understand if he said anything to me about it or told any one and didn't take his lickin like a man they'd break every bone in his body and they meant it too then they lerripped up the team and left him in the rain at pitch-dark miles from anywhere that was the only time i give up the reins. i couldn't see for tears so jim drove and the men took me inside so he could attend to his work they said and they cheered and joked and asked when the wedding was comin off and said they'd all come and give us a rattlin spree if we'd let em know i didn't know what come over me i was never much for whimperin but i cried and cried as if me heart was broke and it wasn't because every time i thought of the way jim clay stuck up for me it give me the best feelin i ever knew and the men was all on my side and there was no harm done and i ought to have been smilin but i could do nothing but sob and i always think now when i see girls cryin on similar occasions to let em alone girls can't tell what's up with em and a cry is good because they ain't got the outlets that men has when they're worked up we came to the end stage, and when we go off the men all shook hands, and one or two kissed me and pulled me curls, and slapped Jim Clay on the back, and called him my sweetheart. When we delivered the mail Jim drove me to where I stayed, and it was terrible embarrassing when we was left alone with no extra people to take the down off of the affair. Jim was painful shy, but he faced it manful and he said it didn't matter what they said about us being lovers if it was disagreeable to me he'd never mention it nor think nothing about it and it would be forgot in a day or two as he was a feller of no importance that was just the way he put it he never was for puttin' hisself up half enough so crying again i just snuggled up to him and i said i didn't want to forget it i wanted to remember it more and more and with that he took the hint and kissed me and that's how we got engaged, without no proposing or nothing. I didn't tell me mother, or there would have been a uproar, and just then Jim Clay got a coach on the Cooma line and went right away. I told him I'd wait for him. He was away two years, and when he came home we found it was still the same with us. I was eighteen then, and him twenty-two. He went away to Queensland for two years more, and in that time the sister next to me was married, and Jake there was coming on but he was never no good on the box. He potted round and grew forage. Me mother began to suggest to marry this one and that one, but I waited for Jim Clay. And when I was getting on for 21, old Jack Clay reckoned he was getting too old for driving in all weathers, and Jim come home and took his place. A fine great feller he was, all tanned and brown, with his white teeth showing among his black beard. He said he'd seen no girl that wasn't as tame as Ditchwater after me. And as for me, no one else could ever give me the feelin he could so he reckoned to be publicly engaged it raised the most terrible bobbery and I me mean, mother nearly took a fit she had me laid out for a swell like me sisters and she said i must be mad to throw myself away like that me brother-in-laws got ashamed of their wives parents bein in such a trade and as they had made a comfortable bit they was going to give it best and rare a few sheep and cattle and me sisters came down on me and said I would disgrace them now they had rose theirselves up in the stirrups. Mother said she'd never give her consent, and I told her very saucy I'd do without it. That's why I know it don't do to press Dawn over far. She must have the same fight in her, and if drove in a corner there'd be no doing anything with her. Things was very strained at home then. They thought to wean me off him and jim clay he hung back some saying i'd better think twice before i threw myself away on him that made me all the determiner jim was the only man for me i never did have patience with them as can't make up their mind so i waited and the day i was twenty-one me two sisters was twins and married one at nineteen and the other at eighteen i gathered up a few things and i had two hundred in the bank and i went to a point of the road Fern Tree gully it was named and when Jim come down the hill with his horses I waved. We had it all made up, and he stopped till I clambered aboard, and the box seat was reserved for me that day for nothing, and at the end of the stage we was married. I stayed with Jim's mother for a week or two till we seen an openin', and I kept her accommodation while Jim drove a coach. Jim was always steady, and we was both very popular, though I never pandered to no one or put up with nothing that didn't please me. Our story was a sort of romance in them days, and money was changing hands freely, and we was all right. The old folk died by and by, they didn't live very long, and Jake there come to me. He wasn't good enough for his sisters, and somehow that's made us always cling together. I ain't blind. I can see he's no miracle. He has his faults. Who hasn't? The old lady fiercely demanded. I assured her I knew none, and somewhat appeased by this she proceeded. "'Well, as I say, Jake there ain't a wonder of smartness, but he's the only one belonging to the old days left to me, and you couldn't understand what that means till you get to be my age. If I went to anyone of your age, or old enough to be your mother, and said, "'Do you remember this, or that? How far back could they go with me, do you think?' "'And then, did you and Jim Clay?' "'Me and Jim Clay was the happiest pair I think ever lived under a wedding ring, and it was a love match. He was quiet and easy-goin' like, and I was the one to bustle, consequently there would be times when there would be a little controversy in the house, but Jim, he'd always put his arm around me and kiss me, and that's the sort of thing a woman likes. She doesn't like all the love making to be over in the courtin' days, as if it was only a bit of fishin' to catch her, though of course I'd tell him to leave me alone, though I couldn't bear him more than me, but women has to be that way, it bein' read into them to pretend they don't like what they do. And you see, Jim always remembered how I stuck to him straight, and flung up swell matches for him, which must have showed I loved him. That's what gets over a man. He never forgets that in a girl. And always thinks more of her than the one with the property, who marries a poor girl and is always suspicionin' she took him for what he has. Of course there are some crawlers of men ain't to be pleased anyhow, but they can be left out of it. And given advice to young wives, I always tell them when they get sick of their husbands, which they all do at times, especially at the start before you get seasoned to endure them, never to let him suspect it. For men, in spite of all their wonderful smartness, has a lot of the child in em after all, and can take a terrible lot of love. When it comes to giving any in return of course, that's a horse of another colour. But of course this isn't only dealing with a man that's worth anything. As I said, there are some crawlers you could make a doormat of yourself for, and they'd dance on you and think nothing of it. But as I said before, there must be reason in everything to begin with. After Jim died I didn't care for living in the old place, and thought I'd like to get somewhere near the city. Old people ought to have sense. They don't want to crawl around like Methuselah at forty, but they know when they get up to seventy they ain't going to live forever, nor get any suppler in the joints, Ought to make some provision to get near churches and doctors and all that's necessary to old people, so I sold out and bought this place down here. What family have you? Only Dawn's mother, and Andrew's, and two sons away in America. I was misfortunate with me daughters, they both died young, one, as I told you, and the other of typhoid, and so after being done with me own family I started with others. I used to think once I'd be content to live till I see me little ones grown up and settled, and then I wanted to live till I see Dawn able to take care of herself, and now I suppose, if I didn't take care, I'd want to be waiting to see Dawn's children around me. That's the way, when we get along one step we want to go another, and it's good some matters ain't left for us to decide. But it's all for Dawn and Andrew I bother now, only for them me work would be done. But it's good to have them. They keep me from feelin' like a old wore-out dress just hangin' up, waitin' to be eat by the moths. "'Grandma,' said the voice of Dawn in the doorway, "'I can't get this beastly old stove to draw, and I'm blessed if I can cook the dinner. I never saw such a place. One has to work under such terrible difficulties. It's something fearful.' Her voice was cross, and her facial expression bore further testimony to a state of extreme irritation. Grandma rose to combat. She never meekly sat down under any circumstances, great or small. "'Terrible place indeed. See if you had to provide a home what you'd have in it. You was never done squawking for that stove. Someone else had one like it, and you was going to do strokes when you got it. It's always easy to complain about things when you're not the one responsible.' Grandma and I decided to go to the kitchen and prescribe for the stove. From an idle onlooker's point of view, it seemed an excellent domestic implement in good health. But the beautiful cook averred it would produce no heat. "'It must be like braise,' said Grandma. They thought it was no good, and it was only because of some damper that had to be fixed.' "'Yes, and they had a man there to fix it for them. That's the terrible want about this place, there being no man about it to do anything,' Dawn said pointedly looking at uncle jake who was calmly sitting in his big chair in the corner he was not disconcerted a man who could live for years on a widowed sister without making himself worth his salt is not of the calibre to be upset by a few hints i've busted up me pants again cheerfully announced andrew from the doorway misfortune's never come singly dawn just get a needle and cotton and stitch em together I never knew you when they weren't busted up and you can get another pair or hold a towel around you till carrie comes home she's got to do the mending it's her week in the house i've got enough to worry me goodness knows dear me said grandma walking away as i once more volunteered to be a friend in need to andrew when people as young and a little thing goes wrong they think they have the troubles of an empire upon them but the real troubles of life teach them different you are a good-for-nothing lump anyhow, Andrew. Where have you been on a Sunday morning tearing round the country?' Andrew threw no light on the question, and his grandma repeated it. "'Where have you been, I say? Answer me at once.' "'Oh, where haven't I been?' returned Andrew a trifle roughly. "'I couldn't be telling you where I've been. A feller might as well be in a bloomin' glass case as carry a pocketbook around and make a map of where he's been.' The old lady's eyes flashed. "'None of your cheek to me, young man. You're getting too big for your boots since you left school. If in five minutes you don't tell me where you've been and who was with, I'll screw the neck off of you. Nice thing when you're a child and looking to me for everything that goes into your stomach and is put on your back, and I'm responsible for you that you can't answer me civil. Your actions can't bear looking into it, it seems. I'll go over and see Mr Bray about it this afternoon if you don't tell me at once.' They ain't been anywhere only pokin up and down the lanes with jack bray well why couldn't you say so at once without raisin this rumpus them as has read any boys don't know what it is to die of idleness and want of vexation it wasn't me rose the rumpus some people always blames others for what they do themselves it ud give a bloke the pip grumbled andrew as i put the last stitch in his trousers and his grandma departed Her black Sunday dress rustled aggressively, and her plain bibless holland apron, which she never took off except when her bonnet went on for street appearance, or when she went to bed, and her little Quaker collars and cuffs of muslin edged with lace were even more immaculate than on weekdays. She scorned a cap, and her features were so well cut that she looked well with grey hair, wonderfully plentiful and wavy for one of her years, simply parted and tidily coiled at the back. This costume or toilet, always fresh and never shabby, was invariably completed by a style of lighthouse boots, introduced to me as lastings, and there was an unimpaired vigour of intellect in their wearer, good to contemplate in a woman of the people, aged seventy-five. It came on to rain after dinner, and confined us all to the house. Dawn borrowed an exciting love story from Miss Flip. Grandma read a good book. Uncle Jake still pored over the noon advertiser, while Andrew repaired a large amount of fishing-tackle, with which, during the time I knew him, I never knew him to catch a fish, and Carrie grumbled about the rain. "'Poor Carrie!' sympathised Andrew. "'She can't get out to do a spoon with Larry, and the poor bloke can't come in. He's so sweet, you know, a drop of rain would melt him.' "'It would take something to melt you,' retorted Carrie. The only thing I can see good in the rain is that it will keep Mrs Bray away. And thus passed my first full day at Clay's. End of chapter 6